It's the first Monday of the month, and Bonnie and I are here to field questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 230. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And once a month, we open up the lines to questions from the Coaching for Leaders community, your questions, and uh, we attempt at least to provide a different perspective or some resources or just some ideas on how we can all become more effective at the art of leadership. And speaking of the art of leadership, Bonnie Stahoviak is here and has been doing some thinking on leadership in yeah, the last few weeks, haven't you? I have been. I had a couple of leadership failures. I would not call them monumental by any means. They're like mini failures. Please do tell. Mini failures. Well, they both involve people who we employ. The first one is through our household. We have someone who cares for our kids so wonderfully. And I'll call her... Rebecca? Rebecca. Not her real name. Not her real name. (laughs) (laughs) She'd probably be fine with us using her real name, but since we haven't asked. Yes. And what our son, about uh, three weeks ago, he's still working on getting fully potty trained. And so I... I'm trying to get him to take more responsibility for things. And he had had a little accident. And so I was sending him upstairs to go get a change of clothes for himself. And she started to go with him. And I said, oh, no, you just let him stay downstairs. He's, he's, or you stay downstairs, let him go himself. He's perfectly fine. Only to come to find out that actually she had completely organized both of our children's closets. They looked absolutely spectacular with not a single shirt or pant out of place, everything perfectly folded and had known that had he seen that he probably would have had a field day with all of the clothes in the closet. So it just reminded me of the importance of context in leadership. And whenever we decide to micromanage, what we end up doing is depriving ourselves of any sort of context. And really, it devalues our own ability to make proper judgments within situations. And she was so sweet because I did ask for her forgiveness and, and told her that's not really my intent and, and that how much I trust her and value her and everything turned out okay. But I did appreciate probably the little nudge of, gee, when you decide to do things like that, it's not really a good practice. We We definitely have this rule between you and I, Dave, that that we're going to let them if they're in charge, they get to decide if they're going to have a snack or if they get to watch TV. I mean, they know that our overall feelings about screen time and things like that, but any given day, any given choice like that, if we are paying them to care for our children, we need to actually let them care for our children. And the second story involves the former student of mine who we've now employed to produce these podcasts. So if people have been listening and noticing the phenomenal editing, actually, the good thing about editing is you don't notice it if it's done well. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) At any rate, had the funniest thing where I had done an interview, and I don't remember why I felt the need to go in and start editing myself. I think that it was just that I felt like, gosh, I need to move some things around 
and he won't have heard the whole conversation. And so it'll just be faster if I do it really quick. And it was hysterical, the conversation we had via email together where he's like, yeah, you going in and doing that, that that's actually not helping. That's making it worse. You need to let me do my job. And it was so funny because we trust each other so much. And I really value just him as a person and his collegiality. But he can push back and, and say, gosh, this is not working. And you guys are paying me to do this. So let me do the job. And I ended up, I was able to go back and, and find out some of the editing you had done. But it took me longer than if I had just done it in the first place. And that to me, that lesson is just in trust and that he trusts me that I want to hear that feedback and that he can really help me be a better leader and manager in this particular situation. And then I trust him that it's all coming from a good place. And we hired him because of his superb competence in this area. And also just his his own judgment. I really trust that he, if he's going to do editing, which he does, then he's going to know just how to tell a good story through the process of editing podcasts. So that was really another fun mini failure, I would say, and and some good pushback. And actually, I think you learned a little bit by as a side product from me telling you that story. You yeah. said it changed how you were doing things. Oh, too. absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think two really great lessons for all of us from a leadership standpoint is one is you know put the trust in the people we've asked to do the work to do the work and, and certainly support them and coach them. But to allow them to make mistakes and allow them to fully do the things that we've asked them to do. But then I think the second lesson is we all are going to err on that sometimes as leaders. And so I think what I really like about both those situations is just your humbleness and your graciousness. Like when you did notice you stepped over the line that, you know, both those people were willing to, to engage with you still, and you were willing to admit your mistake. And I just think that's, that's one of the things I love about you. Hmm. So with that, We should move on to some questions. Yeah, we've got a question here from Ian. We do. So we'll uh, hand it over to Ian. And before I play this, I should mention I have edited this question just a bit for our audience, just because there were some details here included, which might identify back to the person. So I've uh, I've edited some out, but uh, we'll let Ian take it away from here. Hi, my name is Ian, calling from Ontario, Canada. I have a question related to a, a struggle I've got with one of my one of my staff, she was gone through an incredibly difficult 2015. All of that, you know, is, is having an impact on her clearly. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be supportive and work through that. My question is, you know, in circumstances like that, you know, clearly she's having a difficult time. She has sometimes over the last uh, little while has not displayed the best of behaviors. She has lashed out at times at, at some of the other staff. And so my question, my question to you is, you know, when, when you have someone who's working through that, what is the best way as a leader to help coach them through it and not let, uh, not let that situation become more of a, a disruption or, or something harmful for the rest of the team? Um, because I'm, I'm, we're not there yet, but it's heading down that path where where it is becoming a disruption. And, you know, and some people are looking at how how she's being treated and, and that, you know, that uh, her situation is being used as, a, as an excuse for some bad behavior. So I uh, would appreciate any any thought or input you have in that. And uh, 
And I, I cut off the part where he shared all his uh, information. And Bonnie, I can't remember if he said it explicitly or just in context of the part I cut out, but it sounds like they've made some accommodations during this time, over this course of time during the year to assist her. And I know you probably have some thoughts on this of how to approach this. Well, first of all, I, I can certainly recognize how difficult the situation is that you're describing. It can be so hard because we have such empathy or sometimes we have such empathy for some of the experiences that people go through. One of the things I think is helpful in situations like this is to recognize that as managers, as leaders, we can play the role of coach, but we cannot play the role of counselor. And Dave has described in prior episodes the differences between those, but just as a quick reminder, a counselor, typically that's going to be someone who is going to be outside an organization, not necessarily having to hold a person accountable for their results. And there's professional associations and there's professional credentials that come with being a professional counselor. And many times in the benefits packages, sometimes in the, in the medical benefits packages, there is the ability for someone to see a counselor. And so at least as an employer, you can know that you've given them some resources that they can take advantage of if they choose to, to help them with the problem, but that it truly is not your job to do that. And in fact, sometimes we have to keep a little bit of a distance to where we might, if it was a friend of ours, really allow them to vent to us and to emote to any extent and just really meet them right where they are. We're not in these cases talking about those kinds of friendships. I do think we're friendly at work and I think we have friends at work, but this is where we need to kind of have a distance since we are ultimately responsible in our roles as managers, as holding people accountable. And I know you already described that you've been taking some steps to accommodate. Sometimes we have to navigate very carefully walking some of that back because we've determined that actually it isn't going to work. Sometimes this can have legal implications, so I would be cautious in terms of, I'm not sure all of the details around this, but recognize that there are, of course, ethical, which you've brought up, just feeling bad for the person and not wanting to mistreat someone who's in a really bad place. But then there's also the ethical component of this is our employer and we're being paid to do a job. And in fact, that person's being paid to do a job too. And if they're unable to perform the duties of that job with Again, accommodations, sometimes, again, the accommodations come from the legal aspects of it, and sometimes they come from the ethical aspects of it as well. But you may want to talk to a legal professional if you're needing to walk back some of those things and start to strategize if this might turn into something where the person is just not going to work out in that particular role. Yeah, I I echo the talking to the HR legal uh, person because sometimes they can help you identify roadblocks you you may not see from a typical management framework. And Ian, as I was thinking about your question, I I think there's there's two things that I think of as far as the lenses of how to look through this. One is how to handle these situations generally. And then what do you do specifically given that this has been going on for some time? And it sounds like it's progressed to a point where it's becoming a challenge for every party. So first on on some of the general thoughts, one of my favorite conversations from this podcast in the past is one of Bonnie's former colleagues named uh, Andy Stenhouse. And we did a show back episode 142 called What to Do After Workplace Loss. And if any of you have um, had a loss in the workplace or have an employee who's dealing with loss, I think this is a really helpful conversation to listen to. And one of the reasons I really like the conversation is because Andy made a distinction between loss and also stability and structure. And one of the things he said during that that conversation is, 
Uh, you don't want to put parameters on how people are supposed to deal with loss because we all th- deal with loss differently. And even the same person deals with loss in different situations in their life. However, you generally do want to provide stability and structure. And one of the things he talked about is that the performance aspects of the job can actually help provide some of that stability and structure during a time of loss and grieving. And and so there's a lot of art to how you do this, of course, and there's a short-term aspect of that, and there's a long-term aspect of that. But I really felt that that was a helpful distinction of how to help support someone during loss, but at the same time, maintaining the structure and at least over the long term, maintaining the expectations of performance. And then the other thing I'd say specifically in your situation, Ian, is I know one thing that I have absolutely struggled with in the past is I have made an accommodation for someone that in many cases was a good choice to make, but then it's progressed to the point where the accommodation was no longer appropriate. And I felt like I've, I didn't know how to walk that back like Bonnie was just saying. And that is a hard thing to do, but I, I would also offer you something that I was taught at, at some point, which is it's okay to change your mind. And it's okay to say to somebody, you know, we've done it this way up to this point, and now we're changing what we're doing. And going forward, there's going to be a different expectation. And when I learned that lesson a while back, that was just helpful for me of just have the permission to know that, okay, just because I've done something for the last six months for someone doesn't necessarily mean I need to do it next week. I can change my mind within the context of the other things we mentioned. So Ian, I I hope that's helpful to you and gives you a little bit of uh, ideas of where to go. And I'd certainly, if you're looking for more, I'd uh, certainly suggest uh, checking out that previous episode 142 as well. Our next question here is uh, also from uh, on audio, and it is from Nigel. Hi, Dave and Bonnie. This is Nigel in Yorkshire, England. I've got a question for the Q&A show around mastermind groups. I've been listening to the podcast for the last year or so since going on a leadership program, and I found it a fantastic way of continuing my learning. One of the things I've been Uh, captured by is the idea of the concept of a mastermind group and I thought of setting one up for the last six months or so but I've really struggled to think about how to go about doing that who to include originally came up with a list of people who are very technical very similar to myself but reflecting on that and some of the recent shows thought maybe a very diverse group would be much much better and perhaps not even inviting people seeing who come forward for it so any tips or ideas you have around setting up a mastermind group any links and resources that I could research to help me on that way would be much appreciated. Thanks and love the show. Hey, Nigel, thanks a ton for the question. I could probably We could probably do a whole show on this at this point, or probably a series of shows based on experience we've had with masterminds. I do have a few initial thoughts on this and then maybe an additional resource for you. Uh, my first question is, what are you trying to accomplish? So you mentioned the interest in mastermind and the concept of mastermind. I think it really does bear taking some time to figure out what is it you want to get from that experience? Is it is it new ideas? Is it support? Is it people who are going to push you? Because I think that the answer to that question of if you were involved for a mastermind, say for a year, and then look back and looked at what you gained from it, I think the answer to those things you want would then lead you to the kinds of people that you would search for to be a part of the mastermind group. So say, for example, you decided you're going to write a book. I think it just makes sense to probably connect with some other folks that may want to write a book as well and have a similar shared interest. But I also think it would probably make sense to talk and get involved with people who have written a book, who can push you and are ahead of you in that journey, and in maybe even involved with some people who are behind you in that journey, who are thinking about writing a book. And so there's an aspect of 
both mentoring and coaching that you're doing within the mastermind. And every mastermind I've been involved in, there's been that that aspect of it. So I think that that's, that's one question to address up front. The other piece of it is then the structure of how to do it and how many people to involve and all those sort of questions. And I, I can tell you, having been both involved in masterminds and us running a couple of mastermind groups now with Coaching for Leaders, is that's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of logistics and structure that go into that. And I have seen it work where that's all done on what I would call a volunteer basis, where everyone just decides to get together and come together at a certain time and place on a regular basis and to commit to each other. I will say, I think that's pretty rare. I think it is helpful to have someone who is has some sort of structure and a process and even a membership put around it so that it's a much more structured, organized administered process of really identifying those people and making sure everyone shows up and is on the same page and has expectations. At the same time, there's also organizations out there where it's it's incredibly expensive to get involved in mastermind groups. I've I've heard of mastermind groups who are, you know, in the five figures and up uh, a year to be involved in. I don't necessarily think you need to make that kind of investment either. So one resource for you, Nigel, is we're going to be opening up more opportunities for the Coaching for Leaders Mastermind probably within the next 60 to 90 days. So I'll make sure that you get information about that. And folks who are interested, certainly watch for information uh, coming from me soon too. Those are some initial thoughts uh, and just seeing what you want to get out of it. If, if, um, if you know that, then I think that starts to help you to figure out who those people are going to be potentially. So let's move on to the next question here. Next question is from Jennifer. Jennifer uh, writes, she says, my company has two marketing departments. One is customer marketing, which is more account focused and supports specific account managers. And account managers love them because they're in the right hands. The other marketing department is consumer brand marketing where I am. We set corporate programs and brand strategies, and I find myself constantly having to remind the sales team that we work for the same company with the same goal in mind. Some of them can be very critical about the new products and programs we develop because they're not tailor-made for their specific accounts. Lastly, some of them have been complaining about the new product launch timing. I'm struggling with the situation because I want to support them as much as I can, but I cannot give them everything they want all the time. I read the article below, and she mentions an article here from Harvard Business Review called Ending the War Between Sales and Marketing, which I'll link to in the show notes here. Uh, She says, I've read it, but I'm wondering if you have any additional suggestions or actions I can take. I want to join the team on sales calls to experience firsthand what they're experiencing. I created a marketing pitch that I believe the buyers will like to hear and that the sales team may not be able to articulate. I want to add value to the call. I thought they'd all be excited, but I was wrong. None of them seemed to like the idea. I really don't know what to do about it at this point. Bonnie, any initial thoughts from you on how she might approach this? I had a couple of thoughts. First of all, I congratulate you on your intuition to desire to join them on sales calls. There's absolutely back, I guess, to one of my leadership failure stories from the beginning of this episode, what it sounds like you very much are missing is context. If you have not already been on a sales call, haven't really seen how the tools and the messaging and the things that you're putting together are actually being received by potential clients, then that would give you just this amazing perspective to be able to, and I mean, I would say not just do it once, but have this on a regular basis where you have it as a part of your role that you're seeing, again, how customers are receiving messages and you can really build some strength there. The other thing that it would help you do is to be able to build some credibility in by 
this is what I heard from a client. This is what I heard from a salesperson that I partnered with for this particular deal. This is what, and, and instead of, cause the thing, the second thing that, that really struck me is just how difficult it is to be in marketing. Everybody thinks they're a marketing expert. Everyone thinks, well, that's so easy. You just put together a flyer, you take some <laughs> pictures. How hard could it be? Everyone has an opinion on marketing and you really do have to have pretty darn thick skin in order to, but not rough skin. (laughs) It's got to be thick, but it's got to be cushy because we need to not turn people so off when they, everyone thinks they're in marketing, but be able to receive those as if they're the wonderful insight that you've just never heard before. I'm being a little bit sarcastic. And of course we want to wash ourselves from the sarcasm, but it really can be a difficult profession, as I said, because everybody thinks that they're good at it. And one of the things that may help you is just to recognize that. And then instead of it being your opinion, I put this together, I positioned it this way, I crafted this language. It could be more about what you're hearing from the clients. And if you have evidence to back that up, then what are they? What can they argue with? Because then it truly is. This is all about what our customers need. By the way, clients don't always know what marketing messages they want to hear. So you kind of have to be careful about that too. I mean, part of it is oftentimes giving people things that they don't realize that they need. And again, it's much more sophisticated than I'm giving it credit for. But that would be another thing is just recognizing, oh gosh, everybody thinks they're good at marketing, trying to get that thick, cushy skin so that we can accept feedback from people. We can present our ideas in a context that is credible and is based on market research that we've done. That would be an area I would encourage you to study a lot of if you haven't already is market research, because that really can bring so much power and credibility to your message. And I just want to encourage you because Jennifer, you are in a tough role. And I want to encourage you, it sounds like you have the right passion for it and you have the right energy. And I just wish you the absolute success as you continue to move these marketing initiatives forward for your organization. Yeah, I, I sense so much enthusiasm and desire to want to help in this in this question, and 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 so I, uh, your heart is in the right place. And so I would to reinforce something Bonnie said as far as connecting with the salespeople and maybe going on the sales calls, and even broader than that. One of the things I was I was hearing as I was reading your question, especially the last paragraph here, where you're talking about what you tried and didn't work. The word I, I, I think I counted here. You have seven eyes in the paragraph. You're thinking about it appears you're thinking about a lot of this from your perspective what you think would be good what you would what you think they would want and so one of the places i would really encourage you to look is how do you stop and listen so part of that would be going on the sales calls but part of it's also just reaching out proactively and getting into some conversations and starting off by spending a bunch of time just sitting and listening and taking notes and listening to what you're hearing from that team what are the frustration points? What are people struggling with? And then being able to choose your next steps based on what is going to help people make their lives easier. Because then not only are you helping them, but you also build trust to be able to do more in the future. And I'll also refer you to an article that I published a while back on the Coaching for Leaders site called Five Ways to Stop Teams from Fighting. There's some, I think, some helpful practices there, Jennifer, that might be good starting points for you as well. But one of those five is to sit back and just listen and find out what's going on in order so that you can really approach something uh, very proactively. So keep us in the loop. Let us know what happens and, uh, and if this is helpful to you. This next question is from Steve. The book Flow, which I read about two months ago, was a great read. Mihaly describes the book as the first one written on the topic of flow 
specifically tailored for a wider audience as opposed to scholars of flow. I found it tough reading at times, but have been introduced to the concept prior to reading the book. Flow itself is an unmistakable feeling to experience and something that I get a lot through writing, which would deeply shock my high school English teachers today. I've often wondered if there's a lack of flow within business and job roles, which leads to inefficiency and problems with micromanagement being one of these, and then the constant disruption of phone, email, personal devices, etc. What do you think? I think yes. <laughs> I think there's a lot of distractions around that are causing us to interrupt our flow. And just for a little context, this is the book flow from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, we mentioned on a pre, might have even been the last Q and A show, Bonnie, that we mentioned it. And it's that place where you're so deeply focused on your work and so engaged with it that you essentially lose track of time. That you just feel so connected to what you're doing. And I think what Steve's caption his question is, that is a struggle in a lot of organizations, a lot of environments. Steve, the way I think about this is, it's funny you asked this question, actually, because just earlier this afternoon, I was thinking, I, I wish the phone would stop ringing. Because <laughs> I, I was kept getting three or four phone calls. Every time I tried to start on a project, I kept getting a phone call from someone. It ended up being a 20 or 30 minute conversation. After four of those, I was so frustrated at the phone and why people kept calling me and <laughs> trying to reach out to me. And and then I realized, you know, I could just turn it off for a while. <laughs> and so I say that because I think that the tendency for a lot of us is to put the onus back on the organization or the people around us and say, oh, if those people just wouldn't call, if they wouldn't email so much, if I didn't have to go to so many meetings. And I do believe that organizations bear responsibility for making those things more intentional so we don't interrupt people as much in their work. At the same time, I also think it's up to all of us to first and foremost be doing that for ourselves and making good decisions that are going to help us to really do the kind of deep work that many of us are called upon to do. So that means managing our devices, and it means getting away from the environment sometimes, and it means setting the expectations either explicitly or through our actions by how we respond to things. And one of the things I'm trying right now is really only responding to email once a day. I'm not doing a great job of it, but I'm doing a better job than I was before. And so part of the reason I'm doing that, I'm, I haven't said anything to anyone else in, in the people I work with closely, but part of the reason I'm doing that is I want to try and start to give people the sense that I'm not going to instantly respond to every message. But if I respond consistently once a day, that um, I, I hope over time I can get a little bit less email traffic. And I, and I think that's starting to happen a little bit. So the other thing that will be really helpful around this, I know, is a conversation we've got coming up in a few weeks, Steve. Uh, Cal Newport, who I've mentioned his articles a number of times on the show before and in the weekly leadership guides, uh, is the author of a new book that's just come out called Deep Work, which is all about this topic. How do you really focus intently on your work? It's a, it's a great follow-up to flow. And we've already recorded the interview and he'll be on in a couple of weeks. And he's got tons of great ideas on how we can, we can all take our own personal responsibility for doing this well. So there's, there's some thoughts, Bonnie, I don't think you have anything else to add there. So I'm going to transition next question here, which is from, by the way, Steve, thanks for, thanks for uh, dropping us line. Let us know if, if that ends up being helpful. The next question is from Hanan. Hanan says, hi, I'm from Saudi Arabia. I've been listening to your episodes and very curious to hear more of them in the future. I really appreciate the efforts and thoughts and resources that you deliver. 
Uh, I admire you and I've learned a lot from these episodes. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Hanan, for the kind words. I have a question. I've grown in a place where men and women are separated in almost all life aspects, family gathering, schooling, university, and sometimes work. But there has been considerable change in the country towards allowing women to work where they want, and this is at the policy level. At the practical level, I think that us as women still need a lot of skills and qualities to be able to work in an environment that's dominated by men, and even a lot more of leadership skills to be able to lead or acting as successful leaders in such environments. So do you have any advice or resources that could help handle cultural issues? And and she says, you know, I, I understand if you don't want to address this on the show, since it's mostly a Western audience, I'll turn this over to you first, Bonnie, but I, I was curious after reading her question, how many people listen to the show who are in the United States. And currently our audience is 55% in the US, which what's really interesting to me about that number is 45% are not. And we are primarily a Western show, but we also have a lot of people around the world who listen. And um, I'm trying to work this year to be a lot more intentional about uh, thinking about our global audience. So so with that, Bonnie, I'll, I'll hand this over to you first. Well, I know, Dave, that you had a chance to respond to her already and get her some initial feedback. And you sent her the podcast episode from my show, which is called Teaching in Higher Ed, where I had an opportunity to speak to a woman who teaches in the Middle East. And even though it was about teaching specifically, she talked a lot about cultural things and about the society there. And I think that would be a good listen. And for anyone listening that wants to know more, I think it would be a good show for people to listen to. So we'll put that in the show notes. And a lot of what you had to say resonated. I mean, just even though I have never lived in a place where there is that high of a degree of separation, there is this idea where the workplace, the way that it was socialized here in the United States, it was socialized by men. And one of the authors that I've really always treasured her work is named Deborah Tannen, and she's a sociologist. And one of the things I remember her talking about in her books is that we think about the way little boys grow up on the playground. And little boys grow up in the playground a lot, and they get into the fist fight, and they, you know, scuffle or whatever, and later, 10 minutes later, they're perfectly fine and playing together and the best of friends. And you contrast that with little girls, little girls tend to play a lot more of cooperative types of games and more games that would be requiring their imagination. And if there ever is a kerfuffle, that kerfuffle could last in someone's mind for the rest of their lives for decades to come. I still remember, this never happened to me, but I still remember a story of two women who had gotten in a physical altercation at a swimming place, at a swimming pool. And part of the, it would pull a lot of pulling hair and a lot of hitting. And one of them had pulled off the top, the bathing suit top of the other woman. And to hear this woman telling the story 30 years after it had happened, it was like it had just happened the day before. I mean, it's incredible when you think about the power of memory and how different that is. Not to say that, I mean, I just, when I have talked with guys and they talk about fights that they may have been in, it's never with that kind of vivid memory as it is with, with women. We just tend to hang on to these things. And because the workplace was socialized by men, you see a lot of that, not not physical altercations, but you see a lot of verbal altercations that would happen, a spat, as we would call it. And five seconds later, it's perfectly fine. It was, what do you, nothing just happened. What are you talking about? We just, we disagreed and we're fine. Let's move on. And a lot of times we women can be tempted to really take those things personally. And that has two detrimental effects. One is that when we take those things personally, then 
that can provoke a sense of weakness in us that that we would I mean, this isn't really about you. This is about this thing that we're talking about. It isn't about you. Why are you making this about you? But then a second thing is we can carry that weight over time. And we can be thinking about it weeks, months, years later, and the person has no idea of what it is that we are carrying with us. And it's, there's a quote, it's uh, my, one of my favorite authors, her name is Anne Lamott. She's actually quoting another author whose name I can't remember, but talking about that if we hold on to things and we don't forgive and we have bitterness, that it's like us taking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. And that's kind of what it is when we take things personally and we carry this with us for such a long time. And I read a wonderful book called The Four Agreements. I believe I've mentioned it before on the show. These are four agreements that we could keep with ourselves to just live a more whole life and and to be more productive and, and successful in our endeavors. And one of those four agreements is to never take anything personally. And I still remember, even though I read it a really long time ago, I still remember the author talking about that the vast majority of times, people, when they say stuff to us, it isn't personal, but we take it that way and we're so wrong about it. But then the author says, okay, so some of the time they are meaning it personally. So what? You could still choose to not take it personally. And that could be a choice that you make and just think about the freedom and lightness that comes from that. So those are just a couple of ideas of things that I have struggled with just do the differences of being a woman in a workplace and knowing that the workplace was socialized initially by men. And by the way, then the men went off to war. So the women needed to come into the workplace and then the men came back from the war and they needed jobs when they got back here. So it's kind of an interesting history we have, at least here in the United States, as to how that has affected the sociology and the culture within our workplaces. But I know I'm, I'm only probably describing some things you could be a parallel to your experience because you have such a more extreme situation being segregated in the way in which you described. But hopefully that'll help a little bit. I'm so glad, Hanan, that you are seeking out new learning. I'm so glad you're seeking out leadership skills because one of the things that it can feel like this social changes are so slow and it can feel like, gosh, can't we make progress sooner? But yet you turn around and you think, wow, it is truly remarkable sometimes how quickly things can change through courageous leaders. And so I, w- I would just encourage you to keep that hunger and keep your quest for learning. And thanks so much for your questions. Yeah, in so many ways, I feel so ill-equipped to help with this question. Uh, one, because I'm a man, and secondly, because I don't, I'm not very familiar with Saudi Arabian culture. And that said, I something you said just a minute ago, Bonnie, really resonated with me. Is that I, I think there's a tendency for a lot of us here in the Western cultures, and and even in the states specifically, to think of ourselves as, oh, we're very, we're, you know, we're so enlightened. We have women and men in the workplace uh, together, working in harmony. And yet, we don't in a lot of ways. We're still struggling with many of these things. You know, we may be a few decades further along on some of these areas, but it really wasn't that long ago, even here in the States where we were, the workplace was still very much a segregated place, uh, not only by gender, but by color in many cases too. And so I think there's a lot to be learned, Hanan, from taking a look at the history of the cultures who have struggled with this. I think about 
so many of the countries who have, have worked through so many of these challenges and are still struggling with them today, our country, certainly South Africa, of course, and what lessons there are. And I just would really encourage you to do some of the reading and like you're already listening to podcasts to continue to further further your learning and look for ways that you can be a leader and an influencer and in affecting change as a new environment's emerging in your country and and how you will contribute to that in a unique and exciting way. And so uh, we're just we're just excited to encourage you in that way in any way we can. And and for those who are thinking of other resources for you as well, I would really also encourage you to go to coachingforleaders.com slash 230 and please contribute to the conversation as well. I know Hanan would love to hear any thoughts and suggestions you have. Thank you, as always, to Bonnie for your wisdom, and we always value your input as well. So perhaps you have a thought that uh, we didn't consider here on one of these questions, or maybe you feel differently than we do, or maybe you have a expertise or experience in one of these areas and can add to the conversation. If that's the case, please go to coachingforleaders.com slash 230. That'll take you to the show notes for this episode, along with all the links and everything that we've talked about. And there's a place there, of course, to join the conversation, which I'd certainly encourage you to do. And if this has generated a question for you, I hope you'll add it to one of our upcoming lists for the next show. And that will be episode 235, which will be our next Q&A show. And if you'd like to submit a question for consideration, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's the best way to do that. And while you're online, take a moment to join my weekly leadership guide. It comes to your inbox on Wednesdays, and it includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, books. Uh, Occasionally, I write an article that I think will help you between the shows, uh, sometimes related to the show, like it was last week during the Challenger episode. Uh, It also includes a brief overview and link to the full weekly show notes. So if you listen on the go like I do, it'll give you a good way to follow up with everything you've heard on the show. And when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries for me on the value of each one of those books. It's an 11-page guide and nine-minute video. It will be very helpful to you in getting started on your leadership journey. If you haven't already done reading, it's a fabulous place to start, and you can get access to all that by going to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and uh, that'll be a fabulous resource for you. In fact, one of Bonnie's students who became a close friend of ours over the years uh, just recently emailed us this week and said, do you have any suggestions on leadership books that I can read to improve my leadership skills? (laughs) I said, it's funny you asked. I sent her the leadership guide. So I hope that's helpful to you too. Hey, a big thanks also this week to Ranger Henry and Amberlina42. Thanks for the great review on iTunes to both of you. I so appreciate it. Ranger Henry mentioned that he's a high D, I assume he from the name Henry, he's a high D on the disc and sometimes forgets about the people skills, human relations side. Henry, I think most of us can relate to that in some form or another. So thanks a ton for your reviews. I so appreciate it. Have a fabulous week and I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.